0: I think this is like my fourth time preaching here, I think, something like that. But this is really exciting for me to be up here, not just doing stupid would-you-rathers every week. I like doing that, but this is actually really cool for me. So um, as you guys know, we're going, we've been going through the parables of Jesus this semester, and we're going to continue to do that tonight. We're jumping over to the book of Matthew just for tonight, though. Um, and it's the month of October, it's probably my favorite month out of the year uh, because I like Halloween a lot and probably for some pretty weird reasons, but uh, this parable that we're about to read is pretty unsettling and I think it fits with where we're at in this month. For those of you who know me, you might know that I absolutely love the horror genre, but maybe for different reasons that you, than you might think. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's the horror genre in general that at its best can startle us and reveal really important realities and truth in this world. The writer Flannery O'Connor, if you know me, you might know that she's also probably one of my favorite writer of all time. She had a lot of really shocking things that went on in her short stories and in her novels. And this is what she says about the scary things that happen in them. She says, To the heart of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. And sometimes Jesus uses stories like that as well. So that's what we're about to read. This is a parable from Matthew 25, 1-13. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. Otherwise, just follow along. I'm going to go ahead and read this. So, Matthew 25, 1-13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. 5 of them were foolish, and 5 were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. At the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Do you guys pray with me real quick as we get into this? Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word and the truth that is in it and that it is. Would you send us your spirit tonight to illuminate our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say? Thank you for your continual kindness to us. Um, Thank you that you are a God of feasting and partying. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this parable ends with a warning. It says, watch therefore. Many of us are watchful and we're waiting and we're preparing for something. All of us. Especially on a college campus, most of us are preparing for our lives working in our respective majors. Each class, each night studying, each hour of the day can be seen as an hour preparing for graduation and the life that we desire beyond that. We're all preparing for something. We're all preparing for the good life. We're all shooting for the life that will make us the most happy, the most wealthy, the most comfortable, the most satisfied, or the most fulfilled. We're all preparing for something. This parable that Jesus describes and tells is about ten girls awaiting a wedding party that's to come. And they're tasked with lighting lanterns outside the bridegroom's home and awaiting the bridegroom as it gets his bride. As this parable goes, the groom is delayed in his return. The girls wait longer than they expect, and they all fall asleep. But as they sleep, a horn trumpets, and someone yells, the bridegroom is here. And they all awaken from their stupor and prepare their lanterns. But five realize they don't have enough oil. And so they go off and get more. And while they're away, the groom comes back. And the five wise girls enter into the party. And the doors are shut. The five foolish girls are left outside the party. And the bridegroom tells them that he does not know them. And we're left with this warning. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is a haunting parable, is it not? This is an unsettling parable. And it should unsettle you. And it should. It should haunt you. Jesus is not messing around. (laughs) He's not. But there's three questions. There's three questions of utmost significance for us in this, for our lives in this parable. There's three questions that we would be fools to ignore in this parable. The three questions are, is this wedding feast worth waiting for? The second question is, how do we become watchful? The third question is, what does being watchful look like for us today? What does it look like for us here at Yukon? So is the wedding feast worth it? Is the wedding feast worth investing in? In this parable, there's a dichotomy. There's a dichotomy between what's wise and what's foolish, Both being wise and being foolish describe how we live. And this parable tells us that there's two ways of living. And both ways of living have a goal in mind. Both have a feast in mind. So the question is, what sort of feast are we preparing for? What sort of feast are we awaiting? To the world in this culture that we live in, I don't know if you realize this, And to this world and this culture that we live in, our little lives are all that we have and are all that ultimately are. Having faith in and being watchful for something that we can't even see and that's not right now is nonsensical. It's foolish. It's stupid. You'd, better, you'd, you'd be better off investing your time and your energy and your resources into a feast in which you can tangibly see and a, te- and a feast that you can tangibly acquire in this life. If death is the end-all be-all, it'd be foolish to prepare, prepare for a feast after that. To the world's mind, it's wise to prepare for our own feast rather than the feast of the Father and the feast of this groom that's still to come. Or in other words, the good life, if, the, if the, the good life is only right now, and you better achieve it while you can, that's the wisdom of the world. And this is the first fundamental question of this parable. The first fundamental question of this parable is the wedding feast worth reorienting our whole lives around. Is it worth it? Is it really, truly worth it? Is it worth over-preparing over, for, over preparing for the groom to come? Is it worth bringing extra bottles of oil? You know, which feast is it truly wise to prepare for the grooms in this parable or our own which is wiser which is wise which is foolish there's no in between on this for the foolish virgins in this parable the wedding feast is something nice and it's something interesting and it'll probably be it'll probably be fun but it's really not worth investing in but for the wise virgins the wedding feast is ultimate it is all there. that is. That is the ultimate thing. That's the ultimate reality. At the end of the day, it's all that really matters. The groom and his feast are worth building their lives around and investing in. So it comes down to these two fundamental realities for us, right? The feast for the wise virgins is worth waiting for and investing in. The feast for the foolish virgins is worth waiting in, but only when it's convenient. But this parable tells us that this life is not all that is. This is not the only life that we have. The groom is returning. The groom is coming back, and we better be ready. We will either be in the party or out of the party. There's no way around that. There's no way around that in this in this, in this passage. There's no way around that in the Bible. There's no middle ground. There's no maybe. You know, there's no Facebook interested button for the events. Like... It's either you're, like, there's no in-between. And that's what this is saying. There's a dichotomy. There's foolish and wise, and there's two conclusions for both of them. There's no in-between on this. So here's what it comes down to. It comes down to, are we being watchful of the kingdom of Jesus, or are we being watchful for our own little kingdoms here on this earth? We're either the wise girls in this parable or the the foolish girls in this parable. We're either preparing for Jesus' return or we're preparing for our best life right now. There's no in-between on that. And we're, and we're warned. There's, more, there's, there's a lot of warnings within this parable. Being aware of this party is not enough. Being interested in the party is not enough. Being kind of prepared for this party is not enough. Being somewhat invested is not enough. Relying on another person's preparation is not enough. Whether that's friends or family, relying on other people is not enough. The coming kingdom is an all or nothing affair. And each of us will be held accountable to that. Each of us will be held accountable to the way the way that we live this life. And this should startle us. This is an unsettling parable. This is, this is a haunting parable. We should be paying attention to that. Jesus is doing this for a reason. But as we see in this parable, the wise girls prepare extra oil for their awaiting of the groom. It's costly to prepare. It's costly to prepare. Whatever we choose to invest in, it's going to cost us something. Whether we choose to invest our life in temporal and immediate happiness or in the kingdom of Jesus, it's going to cost us either now or it's going to cost us later. Living for the wedding feast will cost you. It may cost us some earthly pleasure living for this wedding feast of Jesus, but living solely for earthly pleasure will cost us the wedding feast with the groom. It costs to invest. We have to hear this. As C.S. Lewis once said, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, I find myself quoting him a lot, but he says, Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. In other words, aim for the groom and his banquet and you'll get this earth thrown in. But aim for your best life now and you'll get no real lasting satisfaction here and you'll miss the groom's banquet. You won't get either. The foolishness of living for your best life now is that no one is promised their best life. (laughs) And even if you reach it, you still won't be satisfied. You'll still fall asleep. You'll still die in the end. (laughs) This life is fickle. We're not promised perfect grades or a perfect life or the perfect spouse or the perfect job. We're not promised any of that. In this parable, like in this parable, we will all fall asleep. We will all fall asleep. But this parable is told to awaken us. It's told to awaken us. It wants to startle us into seeing that the wedding feast is worth investing in. The groom is coming, and we need we need to be prepared. We need to be watchful for him. You know, this is a really unusual way to live in our culture and in our society and on this campus which continues to breathe down our necks that we need to live for here and right now and what's within our immediate grasp. There's so much pressure to live for the immediate. But how do we begin to live our lives where things like our grades, our relationships, our sex lives, or our future careers don't take center stage that aren't the ultimate end? How do we reorient our lives so that the kingdom of Jesus and the wedding feast take precedence? How do we reorient ourselves around this feast? So second, the second question of this parable, how do we become watchful for the groom? How do we become motivated for that? How do we do it? You know, the temptation of reading a passage like this is to say, you know, we just have to work harder, do better, try harder, do good things, and you know just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to get like to be motivated to do it but that's not that's not what it's saying that's not how motivation change happens it's not that we can earn our way into the party on our own strength we can't we can't none of us can and none of us can just generate more oil on our own we can't it doesn't just happen on our own strength so we need to consider the end of this parable The only thing that distinguishes the wise and the foolish at the end, according to the groom, is that the foolish did not know him. And by its inverse, the wise virgins did know him. Jesus in this parable is not saying to the foolish virgins, you didn't do enough. You're not good enough for me. He's not saying I didn't love you. He's just declaring the truth of their condition. They didn't know him. They didn't know him. He's just stating a fact. And this is important for us. Knowing Jesus precedes the striving to wait and be watchful for him. Do you hear that? Knowing Jesus is how we can be motivated to wait and be watchful for him. Unless we know this bridegroom in the great lengths he is going and he is willing to go to to get his bride we won't be able to be watchful in any lasting sense and knowing him doesn't just mean like knowing about him in a logical sense or like a mental sense certainly the the foolish virgins in this parable they knew of the groom they were invited to the wedding they were there they were they know of him you know these aren't simply people who had never heard of this wedding before or this groom they certainly had you know but still, the groom tells them they didn't really know him in any lasting or real sense. They may have known about him, but they didn't put their faith in him. They didn't trust him. They weren't in any kind of relationship with him. And again, this, this should unsettle us. Doing enough outwardly good things isn't going to get you into the wedding feast. Not getting wasted, not sleeping around, you know, going to church every weekend and going to RUF and stuff like that. You know, that's not that's not good enough to get you into the wedding feast. That's not good enough. Doing good things is important, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But it's not enough to simply do good things or to know the groom in just some kind of intellectual sense. The foolish virgins in this parable had the appearance of knowing the groom, but they lacked something fundamental. They were like the lanterns without oil. They had the appearance of working, but they but they didn't. They have the appearance of knowing the groom, but they didn't. Their outward appearance did not match an internal reality. Notice how the foolish virgins, they try to trim their lamps without any oil in it. It's kind of like the I'm trying to like think of an analogy to this, but it's basically like trying to put like fire logs in a fireplace but without having any kind of like lighter or oil. It's just like you want you're just arranging them for no purpose at all. Like trimming their lanterns without oil is is it's nonsensical. It's foolish. It doesn't make any sense. You know, so, no amount of show, no amount of, like, external goodness that you have or do is going to earn you any, earn you anything. No amount of, like, routine or ritual to, like, make yourself look good is going to earn you a place in the wedding feast. That's just not it. You know, without faith in this groom, without knowing the groom, it's pointless. It's pointless. We must be gripped by the groom's love. We need a faithful relationship with this groom. And he's worthy of being waited on. And he's worthy to be be watchful for and to trust. But we're not ever truly going to begin to believe until we see what's going on in the background of the story. We need to see that in the background of the story is a love story. There's a story of a bride and a groom and a groom who goes out to find his bride. We must see the great lengths in which the groom, who is Jesus, went to rescue and engage his bride. That's us. According to Jewish marriage traditions, the groom would leave his home to go to the house of the bride. Um, They would have like a ceremony, uh, but it would be at the groom's house that the reception would actually take place, like the party. Jesus Jesus is obviously the groom in this parable. You know, And it took him nothing short of leaving his own residence to come to us, to get us. He came to the earth. He left left the feast with the Father to to come to us, to meet us, and to bring us to himself, and to unite us to himself. You know, he is the reason that there is a wedding feast. He is the reason. And he's, he's the reason we're invited. You know, If it wasn't for him, there would be no feast and there would be no invitation. You know, he himself is the reason that there can be hope beyond the sadness and the fragility of this life. He himself is the reason that we can know and be known by God. You know the like, weight at the end of this parable that you feel in your gut when it's like, truly I say to you I do not know you feel that unsettled feeling in your gut you know as much as the foolish virgins were told this and they felt the weight of not being known by God I want you to hear this Jesus felt that same weight Jesus felt the weight of being forsaken by the father he felt the weight of the father turning his face away We did not deserve to be at the party. We did not deserve to be in intimacy with God. But because Jesus felt that separation and that forsakenness, we can experience intimacy with God. We're invited to the feast. We will be in union with Jesus, with the groom. He experienced the utter darkness of not being at the feast because he cares for us and loves us and wants to unite himself to us and bring us into the feast. Only until the story of the bridegroom begins to seep deeply into us will we be able to really wait for his return. Until our affections for this groom begin to dominate our affections for worldly success, power, control, good grades, sex, money, whatever else, something's got to beat out our other affections for those little feasts in our lives. And that, that's Jesus, y'all. Even when he delays his return, even when things get rough, only by knowing this groom and his delight for his people and the feast that he has invited us to can we be motivated to be watchful for his return. Even when we become weary and we feel like the darkness is closing in on us, It's only in this groom that we're going to find lasting intimacy. It's only in this groom that we're going to find a party that actually lasts. Jesus is the only thing that can provide lasting satisfaction. Anything else that we look to for satisfaction and utmost fulfillment, it's only going to leave us like the foolish virgins. It's only going to leave us restless and alone. As the church father, St. Augustine, once said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. Only once this sinks in will we find the motivation necessary to be watchful for the lover of our souls. And even if he's delayed, even if we grow weary, even if it costs us a lot of money to get those extra oil jars, we can wait because we know his love. And we know that there's an eternal wedding feast with him that is greater than any immediate pleasure that we can have right now. How could you not wait for the groom who lost the good life so that you could experience it with him? But there's still a tension in this parable. There's still a tension in this parable. The virgins, the virgins in this story exist within the middle of a story. They exist just like us, as people who are living in between the time in which Jesus first came and will return again. They're stuck in the middle. They're stuck in attention. They're stuck in the the in-between. Jesus has been engaged to his people, but the reception has not yet occurred. We exist as the virgins in this parable. We exist in tension. They're in the process of waiting for the feast to start, just like us. And the warning at the end is to be watchful. So what does it look like to be watchful for this feast? What does it look like for us here at UConn in New England? You know, we talked about what motivates us to be watchful. So what, it, what does this look like tangibly for us? Uh, so a lot of people have, like, speculated in this passage about, like, why there's ten virgins and why is there, why is there five foolish and why is there five wise. You know, why, is, why can't there just be, like, one... Why isn't it just, like, one foolish girl and one wise girl? Wouldn't that just serve the, Like, wouldn't that prove the point? The same, the same way and I don't want to get like, too caught up on the numbers but I do think it's important for us to realize that it's significant who you're hanging out with on a regular basis you know we need people spurring us on we need people who are willing to encourage us we need people who are willing to say hey the wedding feast with the groom is better than these little feasts here on earth and in the right now. We need people to remind us of this groom who cares deeply for us. We need people to remind us of that. But just like in this parable too, you know, we're not called to just like wait and do nothing. That's not what this parable says. We're actually tasked with something. And we're tasked to it collectively. We're tasked to it as a group. The groom has given us a duty to be signposts to be indicators to burn our lamps brightly for his return as, as, as people who are indicating that there's a party about to happen. So in a sense, to be watchful is to be on mission. It's to be on a mission. You know, To reflect by our lives and our careers and our schoolwork and words that Jesus is inviting his creation to a wedding feast that will far eclipse any feast we could ever hear, earn here in this life. You know, your life as a student is incredibly important. I'm not saying it's not. Whatever career you decide to end up in is very important. I'm not saying it's not. But we need to realize and recognize that these things should be used in, in service of the kingdom not to our own little kingdom. These things should be used for the bridegroom and for this feast, this ultimate feast that's to come, not to our own little kingdom. And you know, we were never expected to carry out this mission alone. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about Tolkien again because I always find myself talking about Lord of the Rings. I just don't know why. Uh, you know. It's like Samwise, Gamgee, and Frodo. Like, on their harrowing quest to destroy the ring of power at at Mount Doom. It's like, Frodo is essentially, like, crippled, like, despairing and, like, not moving. And Samwise tells him, he says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. (laughs) We're each called to carry our own lamps. Well, we need friends who are willing and able to help us move forward. We need friends who will convince us that the mission is worth it. This feast is worth it. We need communities like RUF. We need the church. We need to be around people who remind us that the groom cares for us deeply to the point that he was forsaken to the point that he was cast out of the party. We need people to remind us that he is worth the wait and that all of things are secondary and, it, and really, I get it. Like It's really hard to do that here at UConn. Where everyone is trying to find their worth in their success and in their grades and in their resumes and in their relationships rather than in the beloved bridegroom. And it's a tendency for each of us to settle too short. That's what this parable is all about. We settle too short. We settle for a life of good grades Good resumes, good romances, good sex, good jobs, good money, whatever else. And of course, like there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. I'm not saying that. But when we look to these things to bear the full weight of our longings and our expectations in life, we've settled too short. We've settled for a little feast that is fickle and temporary. This passage is urging us not to settle short. The groom has invited us to a party that will surpass all other parties. He's inviting us to a life that will surpass any life that you could live right now. He's called us to know him because he wants us and he longs for us and he loves us. He experienced the darkness and isolation of being left out of the party for our sake. And he longs to carry his bride into the reception. He longs to carry you back into the party. Here's, I mean, here's the warning again. You know, It's only those of us who are actually in a relationship who, who will be married to him. He cares about us. So we have to see this. We have to, hear the, we have to see the warning in this parable we also need to see the love story in the back of this parable as well. Jesus will return one day. He's coming for his bride. There will be a party. But we need to be ready. Would you guys pray with me? Father, um, passages like this are very unsettling and haunting and scary and they're truth. So, We thank you that you've given us warnings like this to wake us up, to help us to see what's actually important. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that there's a party because of him and that he's invited us to it and that he cares for us and that he won't fail us. He's our ultimate satisfaction. Thank you um, for who you are, your kindness to us. Would you be with us this week? help us to be reminded of these truths and to be reminded of your grace for us. We pray this all in Jesus' beloved name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.